Hey there, welcome. It's No Guitar Is Safe, episode 51. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Jude Gold, and man, do I love to sit down with world-class guitar players of any genre and have a guitar hang, jam, trade licks, trade stories, bounce ideas. And what a fantastic hang I had today with Adam Levy. And first of all, if anyone is wondering if they've heard Adam Levy, well, the answer is yes, you probably have. played on some big records like that one from Tracy Chapman that's him on lead guitar the song is give me one reason Adam also played all over this huge 18 million selling debut come away with me and I never stop loving you that's Nora Jones's debut album only a few albums. I'm talking like the likes of Thriller and stuff were bigger. Oh, by the way, Adam on this episode is going to show you how to play the awesome Jesse Harris guitar part on Nora's biggest single, Don't Know Why. But I tell you what, even if Adam hadn't done these huge record dates, I would still be thrilled to have him on the show because his energy is so refreshing. He is so mellow. I love that about Adam. He lives between the notes. He's so thoughtful. He's just always just checking out the tune and really listening, man. The guy knows how to listen. He's so grounded. You may be the king of the world, seven jewels in your crown. And I think that's a really nice yin to the yang of, of other guitar players who are really aggressive and hyper and living life at 200 miles an hour. You gotta get some Adam and you gotta get in the Adam zone sometimes. I think you're gonna have a wonderful time in the Adam zone today. Just a brilliant jazz guitar player who branches out to all these different styles and including songwriting, composition, open tunings. You may be this by the way is one of adam's solo records blueberry blonde five song ep he's such a prolific solo artist as well you can find out more at adamlevy.com he also plays all the time in la at clubs you can just walk down the street and see him how cool is that Just a truly deep cat. I mean, that just sounds like a cliche to say, but every time I hang out with Adam, we just go deep. I love it. I'm not going to try to tell you what it's all about this episode. You just got to hear it yourself. I think he's got some great advice for people too, even though he's not one to like impart advice on other people. He's too chill for that. Adam Levy, so chill. You may be superstar, billboards all over town. 
Before we get started, just remember Guitar Player Magazine is celebrating 50 years in print, so feel free to head over to guitarplayer.com and say hello. I like to put up a lot of videos and such of these podcasts on the on the No Guitar Is Safe Facebook page, and I also pop them up on Twitter, and for that you'd look for Jude underscore gold. That's me. I sometimes put them up on Instagram too, and the YouTube channel. Please head over to iTunes and give us a nice review if you can. That helps the growth, and the podcast is growing very much. Thank you all for your support. Thanks again to Tech21, who gave away two Richie Kotzen RK5 Fly Rig preamps to two of you listeners, Carl Brunk, hope I said that right, and Melinda Jones. They were going to give away one, but they decided to give away two, which is super cool. And 1,500 people entered that contest. There's another contest still going. If you hurry, you can enter it. It's for Audio-Technica. They're giving away some cool in-ear monitors as part of this podcast because they sponsored the great Jeff Coleman episode we had last time. That was a blast. Just head to guitarplayer.com slash Coleman, K-O-L-L-M-A-N, to see if you can win some Audio-Technica badass stage equipment for your ears. All right, we're going to head over to Adam's house in the Jolly Copter on the sort of northeast side of town, Eagle Rock area. Not sure what area that is, but it's just a really cool part of L.A. where where a lot of musicians are moving. So there's a scene. I love it when there's a scene. When we open, I'll be playing Adam's old Stella acoustic parlor steel string and open A tuning. I'm messing around with the slide. You might notice that this interview is actually conducted in two places because at one point Adam's at my house because we did an earlier interview and I put them both together for this episode, but it's pretty seamless, I think. All right, let's go. Thanks to Zoom for the recorders. That's how I record these things. Remember, keep it alive to you, 95. All right, let's head over to Adam's house with his awesome vintage guitars and him and his wife's super cool cat named Tempura. Thank you. 
man. Where, you're so relaxed in your uh, in the space. Where do you get where do you get all your space from? You have like more space in your playing, and it's, it's part of your swing than a lot of players that I know. Hmm. I don't know where that comes from. I just I like to hear it. I like to do something and give it a minute to kind of sink in and and do something else yeah you play the spaces who are some of your favorite improvisers in history or someone who oh play the spaces you know what i mean like yeah some people play tons of notes your charlie parkers <laughs> yeah your ingve malmsteins yeah well those guys are yeah but no, you seem fascinated with space i like space i think what um when i was younger and i was first getting into jazz um i got into coltrane who didn't use a lot of space but one of the records that uh i got you know when you when you're young and you go through a period where you're not not even sure what the cool records are you're just like oh i live in a little town i'll get whatever john coltrane records you can get at the store in my town or whatever so one of the records i picked up was um john coltrane with johnny hartman johnny hartman was a singer and i wound up just loving the way that johnny hartman sang uh so i think space comes a little bit from from there do you know that record no oh man so great johnny hartman had this low smooth voice and um that record is i think coltrane's rhythm section with elvin jones and jimmy garrison and um so just right away having elvin jones playing like brushes that there's just a kind of space in that that's really beautiful and then uh, johnny hartman's singing is so unhurried uh so maybe something comes from there Love was ours until October wandered by. Let the years come and go, I'll still feel the glow. That time cannot fade When I hear that lovely autumn serenade So, Adam, you've been pretty busy, huh? Like, tell me about some of these sessions you just did, like Lisa Loeb. I, you know, I met her in Chicago. Really? Because we did a double bill. I was playing with Kathy Richardson. Mm-hmm. And she just got up there with an acoustic guitar and whooped ass. And she mentioned that she does these kids' records. Yeah. Is that what you did? Did you do one of those? Yeah. So she made a kids' record. She's done a few, but most recently she did something for Amazon. And um, it turned out great. And so she's done a couple more. And so the the latest iteration is a lullaby record. So um, I think it's called Lullaby Parade. And I don't know when this podcast will air but the record i think will be coming out later this year soon and um i didn't know what guitars to bring so i brought kind of everything that you see here i brought electrics acoustics because i asked them uh, larry goldings was producing uh, larry's uh, yeah. listeners if yeah. they don't know who larry goldings is he's an incredible multi-instrumentalist keyboard wizard on tour now with john mayer uh has played with maceo parker you can look him up. But anyway, he was co-producing this record, and I asked him, what should I bring? And he said, just bring what you dig. So I brought a baritone ukulele. Um, Isn't that just a guitar? Okay, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> a guitar burns longer. Um, <laughs> burns longer. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and you know, an electric, an acoustic, and I have like an octave, high octave guitar. And in the end, I, w- I did wind up playing a lot of ukulele because that was like that had a nice light lullaby sound. And um, and then my three thirty, which people can't see, but you can see, I have a fifty nine three thirty. That is a great chameleon in the studio um, because it doesn't sound like anything. It it doesn't immediately go, oh yeah, that's a Strat or a Tele or a Les Paul or whatever. It it kind of can do it. So like one song, I had to do like a Freddie Green, you know, swing feel, and they just mic'd it. No no amp at all, and it sounds great oh, wow. mic'd up because it's acoustic. That's cool. And then can we hear it right now. What does sure. it sound like mic'd up? You're telling me. You don't even need to plug in this 59330. That's what I'm saying. Choose the correct pick for the job. My Folks, he is digging through 400,000 <laughs> picks. My wife teases me because every six weeks there'll be some you know, envelope from Amazon where I've, like, I've bought a whole ton of picks. And the actual fact is I play finger style 99% of the time. So she, she comes to my gigs and she's <laughs> like... Where's all those picks you bought? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I'm fussing with picks, but probably what's going to happen That's is awesome. I'm going to play. So I'm going to hold it. Right. I don't profess to be any kind of expert in Freddie Green rhythm, but if you put a mic on that in a studio, like a nice studio mic with a mic pre, so that's one thing that it does, and then you put it into an amp at a lower kind of setting and it's clean and sweet and then you can kind of rock out with it because it's got a, it's just got one p90 in the middle it's a really odd guitar yeah you're right man that thing really projects it sounds like there's a little amp on board yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then, for the record we weren't using like a five thousand dollar neumann or any kind of you know we just have a 57 on it there. Yeah, that, that's kind of been a yeah. secret weapon guitar in the studio. If I have to bring just one thing, that will... It doesn't have as much personality, I don't think, as my 64 335, as far as like real identifiable voice, but that's, right. sometimes that's a nice thing. It's just It just sits in a track. So that's you're asking about sessions. Yeah. So that's a recent session I did with Where Lisa. Where did you guys do that? Where did Lisa... What did she book out for that, or Larry book out for that? Uh, Vox, Woody Jackson's studio on Melrose. Do you know that place? Not hip enough to have been inside it. Oh, man, it's incredible. It's so incredible. You know, I brought, I walked in with all these guitars, and then you just look at the guitar room, and there's like, oh, there's all the classic Fender guitars you could want, including the, you know, kind of, um, you know, odder things, and, you know, like an electric 12 and a bass 6, and then like, a bunch of Rickenbackers and a bunch of Gibsons, hollow bodies, solid bodies, wow. acoustics. And you just, you look, it's kind of crazy, actually. So then I just had to laugh because I brought all this stuff. Oh, that's a common story. You don't want to get in an arms race with anybody, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We had Lee Rittenauer do a clinic at uh, MI, and he, I asked him about, like, he did a little bit of work on the wall by Pink Floyd, and he said he showed up with, like, his 15 best guitars and, like, seven amplifiers, cartridge, the whole deal. 
right. he was going to impress them, the right. L.A. pro, because they were in town. Yeah. And he just said the second he walked in, he was just dumbfounded yeah. by the guitar collection David Gilmore had there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, and I did wind up using one of their guitars on on one track, but it, on the whole... See, I'm getting smart. I didn't bring any guitars over here today. I just play your stuff. <laughs> yes. I know you'd have it. <laughs> I do have... A, I mean, it's I'm, I'm no uh, David Gilmore, but... Um, you know, I I have kind of one of everything instead of five of everything or something like. So um, that's what I brought. We recorded at Vox, and it's a nice room. And they also have what, all the stuff that I just said about guitars. They have whatever that stuff is for keyboard players. You know, various ancient things that, right. you know, guitar. What we love about guitars, they have all that stuff for keyboard. They have probably like 30 snare drums. You know, every... Damn. It's it's an amazing place. Who else has recorded there? Everybody. That place has been there, I think, since the 40s. It's across the street from uh, Paramount Studios on Melrose. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, there's no sign, because most, like most studios, they don't really want people to just go knock on the door. Um, but it's awesome. Uh, I only found out about it through journalism. Uh, about two years ago, I interviewed Richard Thompson for uh, Fretboard Journal. Is it okay to mention another magazine on the podcast? Okay, you may. <laughs> okay. No, that's a great magazine. Yeah, and um, they did the photo shoot there because when you walk in there, it's just so vintage looking. They have like old acoustic tile, like the white with all the little poked out holes and the um, old linoleum floor. It's been uh, It's been there since the jazz era. And awesome. it's mostly unchanged. So it's a great place to do a photo shoot if you want a kind of a vintage studio room look. And real quickly, just isn't Lisa cool? Lisa Loeb. You find, isn't it neat to finally hang out with her after that, that video where we all fell in love with her? Mm-hmm. I think she is super duper awesome. I've I've known her for a decade or so. I, I did a tour of Japan with her in 2008 and a few other shows kind of around that time. And I'd always admired her from afar. And like, sometimes you get to meet people that you hope are going to be cool. And maybe they're not as cool as you think. She's like 10 times more cool than you could even imagine. She's just so uh, creative and smart and funny and very dry. Like she, sometimes she says stuff. You're just like, Really? Do, wow. Like, <laughs> I, I love her. I think she's super awesome. She surprises you with her edginess or just her... Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I play with America's darling Kristen Chenoweth. Uh-huh. I just love... Yeah, she, you hang out with people and then they surprise you. Like, yeah. she's got the funniest, sickest sense of humor. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Now, speaking of... I'm looking at this incredible poster of the Fillmore gig you did with Nora Jones and uh-huh. you were on the same bill with Willie Nelson. Did you get That's to right. hang with Willie at all? A little bit. Um... I'm not the most hang out with the person to be honest. So when there were the opportunity came to like go on Willie's bus and, and line up with Willie, I, um, I balked and I'll, I'll probably regret that for a long time. I'm, I mean, I don't, I, as a rule, I don't, I don't smoke, but. So did you feel it would be rude to not inhale? Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't want it to. would be rude to, to be on Willie's bus and not inhale. So I didn't want to fake it. And uh, so I, I said no, thank you. But you know, one of those—it's one of those things that everybody should do. <laughs> so I would—I usually what winds up happening when I'm in a situation, like not in a light-up situation, but in like a backstage situation, I would usually wind up like hanging out with 
the bass player or hanging out with Mickey Raphael, the harmonica player, um, rather than like, you know, whoever's name is on the Well, that would probably lead to a gig if you hang out with the bass player or the harmonica player. (laughs) Exactly. Pay attention, kids. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Now, you are an interesting cat because I'm not sure about this, but I think you might be the only person in L.A. who doesn't drive. Is that true? (laughs) That's true. Explain this phenomenon to me. (laughs) This is amazing. You need to get around in L.A. You need to get around in L.A., yeah. Um, Well, let's see. I lived in New York for a long time where having a car is not usually helpful. It's usually a burden. Um, You have to park it. You have to drive it in crazy traffic. There's tolls, and it's just a pain in the ass, really, to have a car in New York. So you would naturally be the guy in New York who you probably drove when you were there, and here you don't drive. (laughs) No, no, no. So I gave up driving, as I think most people do when they move to New York, you know, unless you live in, I guess if you live in New Jersey or, you know, there's parts of Brooklyn where you could actually park in a driveway. But uh, I just stopped, and then when I moved back here, yeah, I I wish I had a... A, a really good answer, but the, I just really have kind of lost the nerve. I think. I mean, if I'm really honest, I just it just kind of I'm a little bit um, nervous about it. I can respect that. Yeah, this place is crazy. It's, it's when I moved here eight years ago, my insurance rate for my car went up like a few hundred dollars, and right. at first I thought they were robbing me, and then I realized. No, there's yeah. a lot more yeah. incidents. Here. There's a lot more, and so that's the thing. It's like when I tell people I don't drive, people usually have some questions. But my question is always, I mean, nobody ever says to me like, "Oh, it's so awesome, you should drive," because driving in LA is so awesome. I mean, <laughs> it's just nobody uh. has yet convinced me. The only time I really kind of wish I drove actually wouldn't be to get around. It wouldn't be to like get in and out of the Trader Joe's parking lot on Hyperion. Like, no, that's not what I would do. If I drove, um, I would just like drive, you know, recreationally like, oh, I'm not doing anything this weekend. Let's go out to the desert. And then it's just like, that sounds kind of cool to me. But as far as like getting around, um, and I don't secretly drive. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a, uh, a British TV uh, comedy show called Little Britain. Do you no, I've not seen that. There's a recurring gag where one guy is uh, in a wheelchair and the other guy is his the guy who sort of takes him everywhere. And at any at any in any given episode, there's always a scene where like the guy who pushes him around has to go do something, and while he's away, the guy in the wheelchair like gets up and like takes a dip <laughs> in the pool and gets back and sits in the chair. <laughs> and so he actually can do, like, I don't secretly drive. I don't think there's going to be, like, you know, a TMZ episode with, like, you know, hazy pictures of <laughs> Dude, I know you have a Corvette in behind this house. <laughs> no. No. That's awesome. You know what it would be cool, too, is the capo lesson and an, oh. of uh, Nora Jones' tune. Is yeah. that Jesse Harris' part? Is yeah, that what sure. So I was wondering if I could, is that all right to film it? Or? You can do any, whatever, sure. Uh, You're talking about Don't Know Why? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, let me just grab a capo. Hey, Tim. Yeah, actually, I have one right in my pocket, but uh, you might want to use your shove because you want your shove indoor endorsement. <laughs> yeah. I, my shove endorsement. Uh, like, Dude, I get, your, your shove capo is brass. Yeah. 
I love it, man. My, I'm used to this chrome ones, but the brass looks yeah. so vibey. Yeah. Now you have the trifecta, Adam. What's that? I was thinking of all of my friends and people that I've interviewed or people that are just people that I've covered in the magazine or on the podcast. Maybe one or two of them have I played two of their songs professionally in cover bands. Wow. But if we count Don't Know Why, which you performed with Nora Jones a million times, even though I don't know if you played on that particular track on the record, right. you have the trifecta. Don't Know Why, Come Away With Me, and Give Me One Reason. I wow. performed all those songs. Wow. Dude. <laughs> You're large. <laughs> it's pretty funny. I remember being in Memphis a few years ago and going into a bar and a cover band was playing Give Me One Reason. And like, it's a trip to be part of something that is just in the vernacular, you know, like, and a cup. Yeah. I did not play on the recording of don't know why that's Jesse Harris playing the guitar part, but I did play on the recording of come away with me and, uh, and, um, give me, give me one, one reason. reason. And there's the Amos Lee song called arms of a woman that was on the radio for a while. It's, it's still a, a trip, you know, yeah. I, I still trip out, but those are things that, people want to play in cover bands or like learn at music school or yeah. whatever. When you walk in there and you see them playing Give Me One Reason, which you played the lead guitar on and everything, and are, are you, you st- just, does part of you just want to jump up there and be like, wait, 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 let, let me just show you, let me just give you some pointers just to dial it in. No, <laughs> no, no. Uh, I'm sure there are dudes and gals in cover bands that know the guitar solo from Give Me One Reason way the hell better than I do. You know, it was a very off-the-cuff thing that was probably a collection of all the blues licks I knew at that time. Uh, And very much just a natural way I play. It wasn't that thought out. Give me one reason to steer And I'll turn right back It's funny that it's it's in it's yeah. in amber now, right? Right. Yeah, but it's living, but unlike a fossil. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I'm more likely to correct, like I've seen people play Don't Know Why Wrong, and even though I can't claim that part, it's not, I didn't create that part, it's, I've seen a lot of people play it wrong. I'm more likely to correct that somebody doing that wrong than, than Give Me One Reason or anything else. For the record, yeah. just so you know, that when I was performing that Don't Know Why yeah. that song, I was most definitely not playing it right. <laughs> I was playing it wrong. I was not using a capo. 
We'll have to do a, a, a mini-sode of your playing it wrong. Uh, <laughs> but it's really neat to see the capo part, and I'm going to film this and put sure. this on, on the Facebook page and on my Jude Gold YouTube channel for anyone who wants to see this. Such a beautiful part. Let me put down this awesome vintage Stella of yours. What year is this acoustic? 30, more or less. I am not worthy. I'm going <laughs> if, That's incredible. on the bridge but that's the big that's the idea and, and you could even maybe just use the front part of that if you want to oh that's beautiful man so um the first voicing where do you start out now first you've, you've got the capo at the sixth position right six fret yeah. but you're starting like you're hopped up a little bit up to the uh that's the 12th position with your first finger on the fourth string at the 12th yeah. fret so it's it's like this if we were in e it would be right. this. Now you're so at the it's sixth kind of position, out of, yeah. Out of this E7 shape. Right. Sixth position there. Yeah. And that's yeah. the part that I think a lot of people miss is the the picking pattern is is asymmetrical there. You have to skip. sharp augmented spread triad that's the money chord right there yeah so when you when you put that back up at capo six it becomes this So angelic. And what do you do on the bridge? I'm not doing it right exactly, but it's basically a C sharp relative to the capo, C sharp yeah. minor seven, and then F sharp thirteen, or as Ted Green would call it, F sharp seven slash six. <laughs> um, not a true 13 chord and then B9 sus 
And in real pitch, this is G minor 7, right. C13, F9, sus. But relative to the capo, C sharp minor 7. And how do you uh, do the walk down the second time through that little progression? Cool. I'll show you. I'm still I'm not sure. I'm thinking about if the chord is this the first time or this. I'll have to listen. But Either it's, way. Either way. It's gorgeous. And then... So it's like you're starting in what would be a second position B7 chord. B7. Like open position B7, I should say. So it's just B7. Right. And the melody is on the open second string, then the third string, and then down to the to the the, the sixth of the B on the third string. Yeah. And then the fifth of the B on awesome. the fourth string. Right, and so, when we say B7, we're talking about like relative to the capo. Relative to the capo, so it's really an F7. Thanks for showing that to me. I always sure. wondered. Again, I'm going to put up this video. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what a great Clam. part Jesse came up with. Yeah. What guitar did you have when you were 12? When I was 12? Yeah. By that point, I did have an electric. I had a Harmony Stratotone, which when I was 14, eh, maybe 15, I think. We destroyed it, me and my brother, in the backyard for a photo shoot. Got some cool photos. I know. <laughs> I wish I still had it. It would be good for slide. Not much else, actually. Yeah. It was. A, it should have been called a Harmony Plywood Tone. <laughs> what did you have back then? When I was 12, um, I had a nylon string guitar that had been my mom's before before i was born she had taken some like folk guitar classes at the local park and rec and um i'd when i discovered the guitar at like 11 or 12 or something i was like so excited i, I discovered it at summer camp and i came home i was like oh mom i want to get a guitar and she's like oh we have a guitar which totally right. made me see my mom in a really different way. It's like, oh, yeah, mom plays guitar. I didn't even know. That's cool. So she dusted it off and tuned it up. She remembered how to tune it. She might have had one of those, like, pitch pipes in it or something. And there was a book of, you know, like, Karina, Karina, and Hang Down Your Head, Tom Dooley and stuff. And she didn't really remember all the chords, but she kind of got me going. And yeah. I, I, and she didn't see me again for about another year and a half while I learned how to play all that stuff. And eventually, in my mind, connected the dots that like, oh, wow, this isn't that far from the, what the Beatles are doing, you know? That's awesome. Got to give props to my mom, too. She gave me my first guitar. It was a Takamini steel string, which is a perfect, mm. exquisitely crafted, basically a Martin copy, like an OM model. Yeah. Still have it. it sounds oh. amazing. Oh, I want to check it out. Oh, yeah, you know, but I was curious, though. What was it at camp that made you suddenly, did you hear something or see something where you're just like, i got to play guitar? Well, I was already at that time super into music. I had a record player already when I was like 9 or 10. And this little, like, electric organ with push-button chords, and I was messing around with that, not really figuring anything out but i just love the sound of records and music and and um i had taken some clarinet lessons which was totally far away from what i loved about music i mean 
I think there was clarinet on when I'm 64. But other than that, um, it just it was disconnected from what I the feeling I had. And, yeah. when, and when I was at summer camp, um, and I saw somebody like get up and lead a song, and like that feeling of like the excitement. I mean, I'm actually getting goosebumps now just thinking about it. <laughs> awesome. Just the excitement of somebody playing and singing a song, and people all you know connecting together with music. That was the first time I'd experienced that. Like sitting at home playing the piano was just oh, it was fun, but there wasn't the electricity wasn't there. So literally, <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> um, and these were, I mean, it might have been a Dan Fogelberg song or some kind of campy song. Hey, I'm with you. I was at summer camp and I saw somebody doing like a Dan Fogelberg, about the same age, something like that. Yeah. And I was already playing guitars, but it just sounded so amazing. And they were playing acoustic guitar through a JC-120 oh. and like the chorus. And there's just, it doesn't matter what the genre is. There's some magical ass guitar out there for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's how it started. And then I think I asked, you know, the guy with the guitars, like, can you show me something? And he showed me a G chord and I, I just <laughs> played it over and over again. That's awesome. You want to play like a blues or something or sure. anything or, I mean, sleepwalk or anything? Sure. Oh, that's great. I'll play rhythm.
to do it. I'm going to do it. I just have to do the sharp 11. <laughs> That's great, man. It's funny. I was thinking we should do a solo or something, but then it's like, it's just such a perfect little tune. It's perfect as is. There's nothing wrong with it. And I, it's perfect for you because I always love how much space you put in your, in your lines, mm. whether you're jamming at a club or whatever, or recording on an album. Oh, man, thanks. I like that. I, you know, Dan Gilbert at MI, one of our teachers, he was given a speech once, and he nailed it perfectly. He's like, it was like a graduating thing, like, congratulations, all you graduates. You've just got your degree and completed two years of focusing on all the notes. Now it's time for you to go out there and focus on the silences or something. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Focus on the spaces. It was, it was great. Oh, man. Um, well, you know, I have uh, this rare condition it's micro narcolepsy so like I'm, I'm really just blacking when you with the spaces I'm just really just <laughs> blacking out for a moment or two there micro narcolepsy that's <laughs> epically cool I, I mean for, you know it's like in this this age I'm not sure if that's really conditioned I'm not supposed to laugh but that's pretty good <laughs> yeah so you and a lot of great guitar players have that like Bill Frizzell and BB King all you micro narcoleptics that's awesome, dude. I have another condition, which is... What's that? I came up with this the other day. What's that? I'm a horrible procrastinator. <laughs> Tell me. I, that's when I do my best practicing hmm. when I have to do something else. Right. Num- number one is when I got to go out the door somewhere or so I'm waiting for somebody to get right. ready or whatever. I'm just like, I'll pick up the guitar and then I'm, I'm in the zone because there's no pressure. <laughs> Like if you have three hours of open schedule and it's time to practice for you, that's really daunting, right? Because then you have to think about, you start thinking about what's the the best way to use that time. And then two and a half hours later, you're still thinking about what's the best way to use that time and you haven't used the time. So I, or I, or or, you know, what a procrastinate shred or procrastinate shedding, different words you could use, maybe playcrastination. I like procrastination. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a horrible procrastinator, man. I love that. That's great. Um, That tune, I used to play Sleepwalk a lot, and that was back when I used to use a a plain G, and it just hit me like while we were playing that tune, like I, I'm not, I don't have a lot of like trick bending things together. I'm not Albert Lee by any stretch, but I used to have a couple of those things and I started using a wound G a few years ago and it just makes that kind of stuff. Uh, I love that bend. It's so hard now. So what are you in the third and second string? I'm bending. I'm on the second and third string. And I'm attempting to bend A and C up a whole step. Yeah, right at the uh, 13th position. Yeah, but plain strings and wound strings tension differently. So (laughs) So I'm getting up to sort of A sharp-ish. I call those kind of bends boneless bends, boneless chicken picking bends. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of like a. Ooh. Or were you, get, were you getting multiple bent notes right. in one bend? Right. And that's kind oh. of, yeah, I love what you're doing there. You get the. Yeah. I'm totally out of tune myself, but I'm, I'm going to try that later. There you go. That's yeah, that's I'm, it. I'm holding the telly, so I'm cheating. What are you holding there? That thing is beautiful. Oh, thanks. Uh, this is a 1964 Gibson ES-335. Uh, 
man, I'm honored to have that guitar in my house. I'm honored to have you in my house, but especially honored to have that guitar in my house. That is incredible, man. That's just so cherry and perfect. I love how the sun is kind of browned or graham crackered the uh, white mm-hmm. binding. Yeah. Graham what do cracker. they call that? <laughs> just, wow. Well, I don't know, but that, know. I love that's that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's this. Like, I think when this guitar was new, the binding must have been more ivory colored and over the yeah, years yeah. it's it's um it's absorbed some i don't know what yeah, i got my uh, 2000 as you helped me date it over there it looks similar to yours it could be the grandson and great grandson of, of your your guitar definitely mine's got the grover tuners on it which are pretty heavy metal objects not heavy metal but <laughs> they are metallic objects that are a lot heavier than these kind of classic tuners you got yeah so, these are what are these uh they say Gibson Deluxe on them. Yeah, these are kind of the old style tuners. I like I like I don't that know what aesthetic. It is about them. They're just I like them. Yeah, I do too. I used to have a Les Paul with the heavy Grovers or something, and then when I got one with those tuners on it, it's, it's just something's better. I don't know with lighter sound or yeah. All right, let's jam. Okay, I brought out one since since I since you're such a spacey player, meaning that. You fall asleep. No, I'm kidding. No, that you play these spaces. I brought out this pedal that I think is very underrated. Okay. It's a Boss Terra Echo. Okay. That's cool stuff. That's cool. And if you hold it down, it holds that crazy sound. There you go. Oh, wow. It's kind of weird. There it is, weird stuff. Or you go like... Oh. But mostly, it's just fun for uh, hitting one note and going. Right, anyway, let's play something. That's cool. That's so not bossy. I, I my idea of boss pedals is probably very out of date. It's like the purple flanger and the DS one. Speaking yeah. of, you know, when we were twelve, like. But uh, yeah, let's play something. I'm an what? evangelist for this pedal because yeah, people don't realize it's like, it's kind of like a boutique echo. It I get is. it now out of the Boss DD500, which has the same effect in there a bunch with a bunch of other delays. But and it's, it's in the same footprint, or is that a bigger box? Double, double okay. box. Not okay. that much bigger. Okay. Well, should we play, or do you want to just make some noise? Let's or? make some noise. Modal, modal jam, I guess. Okay. I love it. I'm going to actually step on some things. Sorry. 
Was uh, uh, E13 flat nine. That totally works right there. That's cool. Yeah. Because you got that, that turns into a major third in the key of A minor. Yeah. It's like, how did he get away with that? I love it. I mean, your knowledge of harmony is so deep. I was always cool. I remember our first time I met because. Uh, I'd seen you play and you're awesome. And then around the town in, in like Oakland or Berkeley yeah. and Charlie Hunter was like, this is my new favorite guitar player. You got to check out Adam Levy. So, yeah. Well, that's funny. That major, well, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Cause yeah, I remember please. there used that, that scene at that time. And I'll come back to the major third. Cause I've been, I've been really actually tripping on that lately. Um, I can't go in two directions at once. That's so in San Francisco in like the early nineties, um, Charlie, Charlie was just this name that I would hear like, Oh, Charlie Hunter, Charlie Hunter, Charlie. And at that time, I guess he was, um, in Europe a lot, like playing over there. Um, I don't know if he was busking or playing formal gigs or both. Probably both. Definitely some busking, but he was just this kind of legend, you know? And, and, um, at that point, I was really into, I mean, I had studied a little bit with Ted Green, and Tuck Andrus was like a huge kind of force in the Bay Area at the time. Totally. And then um, I was like, well, you know, from what I'd heard about Charlie, he was kind of like, not not really like Ted or like Tuck, but, you know, somehow from that same kind of, uh, th- taking the guitar as like a, a one, you said like one man band or like, you know. Anyway, yeah. I remember the first time I actually heard Charlie, I just was, I couldn't get over it. And you would tell people about him, and it's really hard to explain until you actually see it. Because if you just hear yeah. it on a record, it's like, oh, whatever, it's two dudes. It's like, no, oh, that's yeah. not two dudes or three dudes. It's one dude. Yeah, playing multiple parts, and the groove, the pocket yeah. is part of it, too. He's just such a groovosaurus, you know? Right, which I think is maybe something that when players first try to tackle that thing they they might miss that if you just focus on the the polyphonic aspect and like well right. i play two parts at once like okay that's cool but 
yeah, what makes Charlie great is like heads bob and people want to move to what he does, you know? It's funny how often he comes up in the, the show because he's just connected to a lot of people in different ways and both coasts, you know, and he's been out in New York for a while. But do tell me about the major third. Okay. Um, <laughs> You've been obsessed with it lately or well, just, just been yeah. haunting your dreams? <laughs> yeah, well, I... Uh, I was listening to Equinox. There's this is Coltrane uh, blues called Equinox, which is a, it's a blues in C sharp. I'm going to turn my pedals off for a second. Just go back to guitar. Yeah. Do you know this tune, Equinox? I know. I'll know it when I hear it. It starts out with this vamp. Boom, 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 boom. boom. Which almost could be a Charlie Hunter thing or something. Boom. And they do it for like three bars and then the groove completely changes but here, here's what it is up front something like that so that's not the major third part for listeners who are like wait there's no major third in that then it becomes a, a C sharp minor blues and it, it goes to more of a, a jazz feel with the Elvin Jones wide swing and it's just boom goes like this and then the four minor your voicing of the g7 flat nine. Oh, thanks yeah uh, I'm, I'm trying to get in the sort of mccoy sound yeah if i can is he on that track so, and then so okay so check it out so in the head the um, on the melody it's not even a chord it's just it's just bass right and then on the on the f my f sharp minor there's this every time in the head and it's yeah. what I love about that is the specificity it's not a get, like in jazz there's often this idea of like everything is just in the flow and that's true but sometimes again about like what you were saying about Charlie like people miss how the, the groove is so important I think sometimes in jazz or any kind of music you can miss that the specificity of it is what makes the one tune not another tune, you know? So that right. happens, and then this is back to this doom no chord, right. and then these specific chords. Uh, okay, so we still haven't got to the major third part. <laughs> now, over the solos, um, that feel stays the same, which is pretty modern at the time. Most jazz bands, the bass player would start walking at that point, but he doesn't. He stays on that the entire time. It never... But, okay, so here's the major third part I'm getting about. So when it gets to the... In the soloing, when we get to the turnaround, in the head, that's a Lydian dominant chord, which makes sense because that that note is a strong note in the key. But in the... In the um, 
soloing, it's more of this kind of chord. It's a it's a dominant seven sus. It's like G over A. Wow. But not even with the, yeah, there's no third in there even. It's just it's almost like E minor seven over A. It's that kind of sound. Okay. And then on the five chord, it's it's that. It's a F triad over A flat. So that's crazy. So the, the turnaround is... Oh, you got the and G it, in the top? Uh, sure. Cool. Uh, I like that. Oh, that was... That's just more my that's fingers like the, fell. But oh, yeah. yeah, it's cool. Well, that still qualifies Z minor over, <laughs> yeah. over A. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's it's just, and then so that that's where the 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 major third is. So here we're in a C sharp minor blues, and then the turnaround chords that is pretty far outside of of you know. There's a bunch of totally. notes in there that aren't really diatonic, and, right. and this too. Well, we're in C sharp minor. Yeah. And there's an F natural, oh, yeah. right. or an E sharp, or whatever you want to call that. Yeah, so we're in C sharp minor. There shouldn't be an F triad in that right. key, nor there should right. there be a G triad, for that matter. It's crazy. But so that sound, and um, what's striking is that, it, you know, it's like an eight and a half minute jam, and McCoy Tyner does that pretty much every time. So it's, it's definitely a choice. It's not just yeah. something that happened in passing. It's like... Something oh, yeah, he cool. thought about or talked about with train or whatever, and um, that should sound so wrong, but when you hear it, it it, it kind of grabs your ear. So I, anyway, that's what I've been tripping about. That's cool. So wait, how does the rhythm go for that? Yeah, they're both pushed. I think one, two, three, one, two, three, four. All right. Could could we coax you to solo over those changes? Sure. One, two, three.
soul over that. Yeah, man, come on. to work on that for a while but now there's another blues if we could just totally jump topics because sure. we only have so much time with you and you I love what was the session like for Tracy Chapman blues that you so did that, that you so famously did oh and that I've heard that a million times in a million locations and a million elevators and a million rock stations and a million <laughs> movies probably and yeah I always dig that tune So we were working on her record that's called uh, New Beginning, and we recorded at this place called The Site up in yeah. Marin, kind of near where like Lucas Ranch is and stuff. I've been out there. I was out there when Charlie Hunter was recording there. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. Like chef and yeah. you, know, you can't see another building for miles. Yeah. The Just the most luxurious idea of recording that you could ever imagine and that was really my first real session i'd ever done um before that i'd you know done you know recordings at friends houses with i'm gonna say a dad i don't even remember right it's a long time ago and um anyway we had rehearsed a bunch uh when we were working on making that record now how did you meet her how did you get through charlie hunter crazy through charlie freaking hunter this the this podcast is we're thinking about you charlie yeah what happened was he had opened for her on a tour his his trio had opened for tracy chapman um on a tour and i guess they got to be friendly and she asked him if he would like to join her band and he said oh you know no i you know i'm doing my own thing but you know you should call adam levy he, he would be the right guy for for your band and uh so out completely out of the blue at this point i had never auditioned for anything or you know i was just playing local gigs around san francisco and uh i get this call from a management office you know would would i like to audition for tracy chapman and you know learn these songs and show up and i nice. i learned the songs and showed up and um it seemed to go well because after we played this, the songs I was supposed to learn, we wound up jamming for a little while. It's just it was very loose, and she was cool. And anyway, we long story short, we wound up rehearsing the new songs that would become that record, the new beginning record. And I think in the process of, of putting that record together, the producer, this is a guy named Don Gaiman, um, who's great to work with i think he was kind of pushing her like well what other songs do you have what are the, like any producer i think does when you're working on a record it's like right. okay these are the 10 songs you're showing me 
what else do you have like let's 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 really you know yeah so she said well you know i have this blues that she had been doing it for years as a kind of like encore tune or a show closer it's the kind of tune that obviously is fun to play live because it's just a groove and it's a blues and it's really different for her you know um so we wound up recording it and i don't think anyone thought that that was going to be the single from the record it was more kind of like um if that was recorded today, that would have been a bonus track. Right. You know, or let's release this as a, you know, separate thing. Or Anyway, we recorded it live, you know. And at that point, we had been rehearsing a bunch as a band, and we had done a short tour. Uh, so we had a really good interplay, and it was just all live. It was kind of incredible. So Tracy's playing the rhythm guitar on a 175, and I think she used a thumb pick. If you ever try and play that tune, it's really hard to get the exact feel that she plays, you know? Because she's got a thumb pick. It's a thumb pick on a hollow body on a 175 through a deluxe and no pedals. And a try it with a thumb pick, it's a lot easier to get the feel. And then I was playing not this 335, but a, another one uh, that uh, is this 1979. Is this super nerdy? No. Okay. Uh, please. <laughs> All right. Um, when I'm not I'm, micro narcolepting over here. <laughs> I love these stories. Of <laughs> so the first good guitar I ever had was that guitar, which yeah. my dad got me for my bar mitzvah. So in 79, I turned 13, and my dad got me um, a tobacco, what they, I think they call it walnut, I don't know, a very, very dark brown, um, 335. And so that was that was my guitar. Yeah. That was it. And um, so it was that guitar through a deluxe reverb that I had. And I think, I don't know, we did a couple of takes, but it was basically, that's just the band doing what yeah. it does, you know? Dude, we got a jam on that one. Okay. How was her, how, what key's in it? Uh, F sharp? F sharp, yeah. Oh, wait. You got the feel, that's for sure. It's like you played it. <laughs> I mean, I know you didn't play this part, but it's like you know this song. I I do know this song. Can I've you sing it for played, us? No, I can't. And I would, but I love to sing. I just don't know all the words. Give me one reason to stay here, and I'll turn right back around. I don't know the words. Yeah, that's the only it. line I know. Sing it again. It's a blues. Give me one reason to stay here, and I'll turn right back around. And this part, but you know, the make up something that rhymes with around. I'm only tittering. I ain't your bozo the clown. Yeah. Her line was much better. But you gotta give me those pills. Oh, <laughs> 
awesome. You play. You're making it talk, dude. <laughs> for a blues. Yeah, was it like when you hear yourself on the radio and it's everywhere and it's, you're coming out of car stereos and <laughs> and everywhere. yeah it was pretty funny um i think the car i was i couldn't hear it on the car that i was driving at the time because i had bought this old beater um dodge dart that had just i think an am radio and that hit that was all over FM radio. I don't think it was on yeah. AM radio very much. So I couldn't hear it in my own car, but I do remember hearing it like in coffee shops and cafes. And it, it just blew my mind because honestly, I mean, that was really a dream for me. I, I didn't ever imagine I was going to be a touring guitar player. My heroes were studio players, really. Um, Such as? Well, like when I was young and I would read Guitar Player Magazine, you know, I, I always loved Tommy Tedesco's column. That was like yes. the highlight for me, you know? Yeah, he'd tell you about some crazy session, exactly how much money he made and show you the chart that he right. was given and tell you little tidbits about the story. Exactly. Awesome. Yeah. So just that kind of stuff. And well, uh, he said, name some studio players. I mean... Jimmy Weibel, although he's not on a, a ton of like, uh, you know, rock or blues records, he recorded more in the in the fifties and sixties. And then it, when I was a yeah. kid, he was doing TV sessions more. So you were probably hearing him in the background on oh, some yeah. TV show, but you might not know it. But uh, you know, um, Larry Carlton as a as a as a studio player, like on the Nightfly record, I I stole so much stuff off of that record. Right. And um, I guess, you know, Danny Korchmar and, um, you know, so when, when I thought of uh, having any kind of career in music, it was definitely studio based. Oh, and sorry. And Steve Lukather, of course. How could I forget? Oh, yeah. Like Luke Daddy. Right. Luke Daddy. When, when you and I were, were youngins, he, he ruled the studio world. I mean, he really did. Oh, yeah. So, you know, I got an SPX 90 and <laughs> did my best. There you go. I got a Tom Anderson. I had a, no, it wasn't a Tom Anderson Strat. I had a Roland guitar synth with a Strat controller. And I, I had a, I had a Tom Anderson pickup in the bridge. Um, boy, I, I'm, I'm probably not making any sense because I'm just like really being nostalgic well, right now. Yeah, you're no, that's that's the I love going back, you know, to all the different eras of guitar. Yeah, the Valley Arts eras, you know. Yeah, dude, the 80s. And so, uh, 
I remember looking at the pictures of the Valley Arts and seeing Larry Carlton. I was like, I got to have one because sure. Larry Carlton plays one. Of course, later I realized 335 was his true right. love. But so you wanted to be one of these cats. And next thing you know, you're touring with Tracy Chapman and yeah. road dogging it. Yeah. Well, I didn't tour with her that much. I just I just did one real tour with her. But to, to your question, like, what was it like to hear myself on the on the radio? That was really the dream. Like road dog, and it was not at all the dream. The, the, when I was a, my grandfather was a studio musician, so I, the first musicians that I ever really met professionally were studio guys. They weren't road dogs. They were Jimmy Weibel. I met Jimmy Weibel when I was a kid. I'm honored to say that that he worked at MI when I was a director wow. up until basically his last day. Wow. He's to me, he's like the West Coast Les Paul. Just yes. Played forever, taught forever, and was yes. amazing forever. Yes, the best. Sorry, go on. No, that's okay. So to get that, I mean, it was almost like too soon. Like in, in, in a way I was like, oh, instead of thinking, how can I get on another record that's on the radio? I just thought like, wait, was that it? Did I just like, you know, shoot the whole yeah. lot? <laughs> like, wow, I'm however old I was. Like, it was just a dream come true. I had to like think like, what am I going to do next? Like, this was just the biggest, it was the lot, it was the guitar lottery for me to, to have a song that was so ubiquitous. And of course, you'd be in a cafe and you'd say to the, you know, the person selling the coffee, you'd be, oh, that's me. And they just look at you like, yeah, dude, whatever. Like, yeah, whatever, 250. Yeah. And especially because I, I left Tracy's band actually before that record even took off. So in the music video, uh, Linda Taylor is is miming my part. So then nobody's really going to believe me at all. It's like, no, there's a lady playing the guitar in the video, dude. That's not you. Uh, well, you bounced back from that gig pretty well. I did okay. And then I played with Nora. But now that's when I met, re-met you when I applied for a job at Guitar Player Magazine. It was basically you had given notice. It was basically your job. Right. Your position. Right. And I, I remember you taught me something that day, whether you realize it or not. Like we had a great hang. Okay. You know, and you kind of told me what some of the parameters of, of your specific responsibilities were as opposed to the rest of the editorial staff. And it was cool, and it was just a wonderful time at the eye. And then you were like, okay, I'm really busy. I'm under deadline. Sorry, I got to get back to work. Hmm. And then I realized right there, whoa, this is an intense job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These deadlines are real. Yeah, like because you don't think that when you read the magazine, it just seems like it's just one big guitar party, like you know Art Thompson yeah. and Joe Gore just hanging out, you know, <laughs> slinging yeah. pedals and taking things oh, apart, man. and like I don't know if it was ever like that, but certainly when I worked there, it was not like that. And um, but it's funny you bring yeah. that up because I feel like you and I have been like in this in in. Uh, concentric circles because i i remember right. having lunch with you when i moved back to la four years ago and you were leaving your 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 yeah. chair at mi and right i didn't get that job but i did wind up chair of the guitar department at another school the la college of music and i remember <laughs> you telling me about you know what that job is like so it's kind of yeah. funny well, that must mean that I'm finally going to play on a platinum record then. Because <laughs> you've be. done at least two of those. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. That's going to be the next thing. Now, so when you left Guitar Player then, mm -hmm. you're like, I'm moving to New York. And I've always admired that about you. You've lived in New Orleans. And you're just, you'll pack up and go on an adventure. Mm. And uh, I think that's a great thing in life for anyone if they can choose an adventure. Mm. You know, choose something cool. Yeah. 
it's just amazing to change your life. And then, and did you grow up there or where'd you grow up? I grew up in LA. I was born in Encino. Oh, okay, cool. So you really, you bust him of New York and then tell me how you meet this Nora Jones person. <laughs> it's, it's the most unlikely story. It's the kind of thing that if you saw it in a movie, you just would be like, that's not how show business works. But this is really what happened. Um, she was still going to school at North Texas, which is a great school for jazz. She was studying jazz piano. And some musicians that she had met kind of convinced her that like she should drop, or they tried to convince her that she should drop out of school and move to New York. They heard her sing, and they were like, what are you doing in jazz school? You should like move to New York and become famous, or at least you know play clubs and whatever. And she was just like, I think she was pretty skeptical about the whole thing, but she had an opportunity. I forget exactly, but some, someone in her family, an aunt or an uncle or somebody had a, a spare place for her to stay. So she took a summer off of school and came to New York. And just coincidentally, I happened to meet her on her very first day in New York. We were at the 55 bar to hear uh, a friend, a mutual friend of ours was playing there. So I went there to hear my friend play and she went there to hear the same person play. And we were sitting next to each other, not talking. And our friend came over and said, Hey, you guys should meet, you know, cause he had told me about her. I didn't realize that that's who right. it was. And he said, Oh, this is, uh, this is, you know, he introduced us, you know, this is Adam Levy. He's a guitar player. This is Nora Jones. And she's like double kick, double ass. And I was like, what? And he's like, well, she's a kick-ass pianist and she's a kick-ass singer. <laughs> Double kick, double ass. I'm like, That's okay. Funny. So we talked uh, a, a little bit about music we liked, what we were into. I mean, she didn't have any gigs, mind you. At this point, she's not managed, signed, anything. She's a 19-year-old you know, jazz piano student at North Texas. But I got the impression she was going to at least stick, in, or stick around New York for the summer. And I said, well, if you want to play. And I wrote my number down on a, you know, the back of a coaster or napkin yeah. or something. A couple weeks later, she called me and we we played a totally forgettable gig. Not to say it was forgettable because because of her. I mean, it was unforgettable because of her. But it was the kind of gig right. that I understand. Yeah, Just, musicians. You know, it was fifty bucks to play at some stupid you know yeah. thing. Doing some cover tune standards. And- yeah, and we but we hit it off and we wound up keeping in touch. She called me for another gig. It was like a brunch gig at a hotel. I mean, literally, it was a long time of just those gigs before anything really took off and she calls you up one day and says i got a fat contract on blue note yes we're gonna be huge no what did did she say say (laughs) yeah she said yeah we're gonna make blue note great again (laughs) um (laughs) no she i mean actually which she did well she did actually um so all the stuff i'm telling you about happened when i was in new york and actually it had moved back to new back to San Francisco and went back to work at Guitar Player. This is I worked there twice, right? Anyway, so I worked there for a year. I, I moved to New York to play and New York just kicked my ass, you know? And I was, you know, another opening was available at Guitar Player and I, I came back to the comfort of office life. This is pre-standing desks or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at my wonderful standing desk from Ikea, which I very much recommend, folks. I love it. Man, you should get Ikea to sponsor I'm the down, podcast. Man. Awesome. Brought to you by Fender and 
Ikea. Yeah, man, pass the meatballs. So you came back and you got your back in your secure office with your with your health plan and your, yeah. your 401k and everything. And Loving it. And then I then at that time, when so when I was back at the magazine, that's when really things took off for Nora. When I moved back to California, before that, she again, she had no management, no record label, nothing. She was playing gigs, but then she got signed to Blue Note and... She's making a record and she sent me this email like, hey, I'm making a record for Blue Note and I really hear your sound on it. I would love for you to be part of it if you can. I know you have other stuff going on in San Francisco, but um, if you can come out for a week, I would really appreciate it. And that same week, two other kind of things happened in my life that I felt the universe was really talking to me like, you should do this. So I went into Mike Melinda's office and said, Mike, I... I gotta, I gotta make a move, and he was super supportive. I, I really gotta thank him for that. Yeah, he's very great that way. Yeah, and then you know things took. You know, it wasn't overnight with Nora by any stretch, but it did happen pretty quickly. You know, after the record came oh, out. Yeah, I mean, anyone who follows the record industry knows that Blue Note literally couldn't print them fast enough. It was before the age of Spotify and stuff, and people were. You saw, how many records did she sell? Like eighteen? I can't add that much. I think worldwide, uh, the "Come Away with Me" album sold something like eighteen or twenty million copies worldwide. That's just nuts. Nuts. <laughs> I really. I don't think records move like that anymore. She's one of the last people to truly have a hit record. Yeah. 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 So to be again when you know and earlier when we were talking I said that having being on give me one reason was like a dream come true and like how do you follow that up I really thought I was just going to go back to playing like at the Bison Brewing Company <laughs> you know playing improv right. jazz at Bison and Jupiter and I don't know if you probably played those places yeah, too Yeah yeah and playing over the beer clinks Yep and uh then I got to live an even better dream, which is like I got to join. When I played with Tracy, she was already Tracy Chapman. I mean, she'd been Tracy Chapman at that point for you know ten years. I mean, she'd been Tracy Chapman yeah. her whole life, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right, right, right. She'd been a, a, a and Nora was not that. It was like I met her. There was nothing, and I got to take this incredible ride. And I stayed with her for three yeah. three records, and she wound up recording one of my songs on her second record. Oh, yeah, which was, one was that? Uh, it's called uh, In the Morning. Cool. It's a blues. <laughs> I can't stop myself from calling, calling out your name. I can't stop myself from falling, falling back again. Without you I can hardly speak it all 
that was a, a whole other dream come true to have a song on a record that millions of people would would buy and hear it's kind of unbelievable and that's a, that's an incredible thing that you lived and there's in for me or any other musician i think is you know there's just nothing more exciting than watching an artist start from the forgettable gig yeah. and just blow up yeah it's an amazing thing to see i've seen it happen to a couple of people yeah and uh, to be in be close to that it's like it's just it's like the ultimate action movie. It's so exciting. Yeah. And you're right there, and you get to fly business class. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To Singapore or yes. wherever you go. We went all over. It was just, it was really a thing. And well, let's play one of those tunes. Oh, wow. Okay. I know a couple of them. Tell me what you know. Okay. Yeah. Well, remember, I was, I was in, I played your other tunes. <laughs> uh, doing well, those. If you can really play that, that would be. Is, it, is that Don't Know Why? Yeah. I can't sing it. Shame on me, but. Sounds so good on your amp. I'm over, I'm playing too hard. You just get the most <laughs> gentle touch over there. It's cool. the other one we used to always do that was a hit song really simple song uh come away with yeah. me yeah you play on that one i did play on that one yeah that's so beautiful Man. just like diatonic loveliness oh thanks man yeah. i love your your melody playing it's funny i i think of you as such a groove dude um yeah <laughs> and, with, and your groove playing is, is oh it's, man my little amp is starting to crack oh, oh sorry sounds like a maybe a tube or yeah maybe a power tube but it's great. Even when we were doing the Tracy Chapman song, I could hear like you really like play in a very vocal way. Oh man, that's cool. thanks. So that's that's really the what it comes down to. So that's a really nice compliment, in my opinion. It's like melody and groove. That's what it's all about. And then yes. harmony is pretty nice too. Yeah. Those three things are pretty cool. <laughs> I kind of feel like harmony is mostly for us, you know. Yeah. Like, um. You know, like every every human on earth can feel melody and groove, and some some feel yeah. harmony. But I feel like that's kind of like the thing that we get to do for. But us. it's very powerful too. How how do you mean? Well, I mean like, okay, check out "Amazing Grace." I learned that song. I was very young at some at some point. I learned it, and someone just showed me the melody, and I'm like, "This is Amazing Grace." That doesn't sound so powerful. Hmm. But then I heard it, I think it was the Tommy Boy soundtrack or something, mm. with the harmonies going underneath oh, yeah. it, and yeah. the way that it amplifies certain notes, it's like, oh, okay, now that melody sounds 
more oh, beautiful. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Just by itself, without the five chords and the resolutions and the relative minor and all the different things, it's a little bit. P- play a little bit. I want to. I want to. Like if you just what key should we do? If you just hit it in G. Oh, this needs the terra echo. Now it just sounds beautiful any way you slice it. Because hmm. even if you don't play the harmony, you hear it in your head. Yeah. But it, when I first heard it, it wasn't there. But here I am. I'll start it. the harmony But yeah, wow. I mean, people. I think it's more subtle, but I think I think people do hear harmony, and you know, like when you hear a choir singing, it's the oldest thing in the world. Yeah, sense. that's true. You know that. Okay, so I take it back. You're right. People do. They do feel that. I guess what I meant was more like if you're playing chords, like the difference between this chord and this chord to most right. people isn't such a. Yep. big deal but how melody and harmony connect yeah of course right. people can feel that i mean that's that's what paul mccartney's house is made of is yeah that. yeah and Bach's living quarters back at wherever he's <laughs> exactly <laughs> but uh yeah I totally, I totally agree with you too i think that uh things get really blocky especially with guitar like guitar players i if I could start all over again, or I would teach guitar players to start with melody and learn how to harmonize the melodies. Like, you know, they think, oh yeah, I know how to play all the things you are. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah. they think in terms of these block grips, and that's not the song. No. The, har- the harmony is moving like a river, just like the melody. Yes. But we think in terms of these grids, sometimes we're taught in grids. Here's this shape, that shape, or here's this scale, that scale. Yeah. And it's totally, yeah, if I could give, I don't want to give advice to anyone else, but if I could advise my younger self, I, w- I would say two things. One, think about chords from the top down and not from the bottom up. Like the thing you're saying yes. about all the things you are, like we all think of it as like, like visually I understand that because yeah. the bass note is the closest to your face, to your eyes. Like. Right, you're going to experience that as a bass note thing because that's yeah. what you see. But really, it has more to do with this. Oh man, I'm so with you. Right, I, I you know I do a bit of teaching at MI. I'm, I've, I can't tell you how many times when I have a student soloing or something, I'm like, you know what? You're, I know you're trying out the scale for maybe the first time, but start on the top of it. The yeah. bottom's kind of muddy. They're starting like, yeah, right. Like, why don't you start up here? Oh and get some, yeah. Yeah, might that, have a totally more makes, fun. that totally makes sense. I've never thought of that as as far as soloing. I was thinking about with the chord thing. But yes, dude, people should not... You learn scales and you think you have to start at the bottom and go to the top. And actually, in melody playing, it's most of what you do is going to be top down. Yeah. 
That's cool. And then, yeah, the other thing I, I would advise to my young self is like, start singing. Like I didn't start singing until I was in my thirties. I, I was super shy about it because my heroes were, well, Paul McCartney was my hero and I couldn't sing like that. And I just thought, well, I guess I can't sing. Not realizing that like very few people can sing like that. He's very special. That's for sure. Um, so, you know, later on I realized I could sing, you know, lower that there's a whole world of singers that are not tenors and, and, uh, but the reason I would get guitar players to sing is I think it, it helps you play melodically. And also, it, it, you mentioned like in a, like a gospel choir, Amazing Grace, if you sing with other people, you start to hear secondary lines and harmony lines. And so instead of thinking about harmony like, like that, you right. could actually just think, well, if this is the melody, what could be a harmony? Like you could just harmonize it uh, and that's just one kind of melody. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's not even the, the nicest example, but it, you know, if you practice playing Amazing Grace in two part instead of in chords and try to sing, like, you know, yeah. I'm not. I'm Get two like melodies I'm not, going at once. I mean, true harmony is Thank two you. melodies or three melodies. Thank you, Jude. So, some mornings I. I can complete sentences. Others, oh, I cannot. Well, I mean, you know, we we are completing each other's sentences. I think, which is cool. that's good. That's good. Uh, can you follow me? <laughs> I'm I'm totally with you because true harmony is that's what you're saying. Yeah, it's not exactly. these blocks moving around. It's yeah. mel melodies flying together through the sky of <laughs> yeah. Do, do you know Ken Rosser? He's a guitar yes. player. He showed me this exercise. It's a, he says he does it just to warm up, and it's such a cool thing. I'll, can I yeah. share it? So it's yeah, like cool. So this is an exercise that um, that Ken Rosser showed me. Ken is a great guitar player here in Los Angeles, and uh, it has to do with with harmony, but just two lines at a time. So he would practice a blues, playing in whole notes. So just you know. Each bar in 12-bar blues, you're just going to play a whole note, but we're going to play two notes. So we'll do it in C. And I'll, I'll play it, and then I'll talk about it a little bit. Two, three, four. So what it's about is 
trying to hear two different lines at once. They can move, really, there's only a couple of ways they can move. They can move in parallel, or they can move in opposite directions, you know? Or one could stay and the other could move. Um, and those so are those cool. options. So parallel, opposite, or uh, what do you call it when one stays and oblique? Oblique, uh, yeah, that's so cool. Andy Ellis taught me that. Maybe back at Guitar Player Magazine. God bless Andy Ellis. But the idea is to unlock yourself from these kind of block chords that we all practice. Which are great. To, it's great to know your drop two voicings. Why not? But if you can't hear the voices moving in there. Uh, you're kind of missing an opportunity of what's really, really special about harmony. So that's an exercise that I do to warm up sometimes. That's a great exercise. Splitting your brain in half and kind of doing two at once. Mm -hmm. I see you brought a chart here for me. You want to play a little body and soul? I hate to have waste this paper since you actually printed it out. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. 
Our chord from the Equinox again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> A nice harmonics. Beautiful playing, man. I, just, I haven't played that song in a couple of years, so. You sound great. Oh, always playing always. the changes for you, but uh, that's great, man. Thanks for bringing that over. Now, sure. Speaking of standards, I had heard at Guitar Player Offices that your grandfather wrote a Christmas standard that everybody on the planet pretty much knows. Yeah. Who knows anything about Christmas. Sure. And which, which song was it? It's called, um, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year. Now, what's your favorite? That song has been probably recorded a thousand or ten thousand times. What's, yeah. Is there a particular rendition that you like that if you were going to play it for somebody on by a famous artist or, a, or any artist? Uh it's hard to choose huh nancy wilson made a really great record of it i mean the famous version that people would probably know is andy williams um and that's pretty great uh but uh, yeah nancy wilson's version is 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 pretty hip yeah do you play it oh uh I would, uh, I mean, I could, but it, uh, I know it's not right under my fingers. I'll oh, yeah. find it if you, if you, if you want to go, go on a spelunking a little, expedition. A little, a little piece for, a little, little, just a little piece of it for, okay, sure. for the listeners. What was your grandfather's name? I should know this, but I know the song. <laughs> yeah, his, well, it's okay. Uh, his name was, was George Wilde, W-Y-L-E. Um, yeah. So you had music in your family. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll I'll see if I can play a bar of this, and then I'll, I'll tell you a funny yeah. story about it. Thank you. 
<laughs> okay, that chord. Something like that. <laughs> you need the ukulele for that. You got your thumb <laughs> yeah. under the neck. Yeah. That was a chord. I can't reach it. You can. I'm playing oh, no, low F sharp with F my sharp thumb. thumb. And I'm playing um, A sharp, D sharp, uh, B sharp, <laughs> just to be silly. Sure. Yeah. Impress the ladies with that chord. <laughs> that's, 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 that's quite the stretcher. So you had a story about that song? I mean, what a, a crazy thing to have a song in the family like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, two, two things. One, actually, one thing about that song is he would complain. He loved Andy Williams' version because that was the one that paid the bills. But he thought that some people got it wrong. Like each ending, the first ending, second ending, and the third ending, the melody is slightly different. It's kind of like... I mean, that's something yeah. Cole Porter would do. If you ever listen to, like, there's a Cole Porter song called So In Love. And it's subtle, but, I mean, he was a very sweet and generous guy, but he was persnickety about melody. It's like, no, the melody isn't, melodies aren't sort of, they they are. So he, he, he thought that some people, I won't name names, but some people didn't get the melody of that song quite right. Also, he and I made a record when he was 80. He called me up one day and he's like, I, remember I think that. we should make a record. So Now, um... I think I was texting with you last night, and you said, or maybe I talked to you, and you said you had just done a session with Michelle and Deggio Cello, yeah. who I've always been a fan of. Super yeah. funky bass player, singer. Yeah. What was going on with that? Um, she was working on a record. I don't know if it's okay to say too much about it, but um, it's a record that will come out later this year. And uh, so one of the things that I was recording uh, with her, I recorded a couple songs was a cover of a song that I knew. I feel like I don't want to ruin the surprise of saying what it was, but it it's a song. What can I say about it? It's a song that was a big song when I was uh, a young lad on the radio. And, um, but she specifically said, don't listen to it. We're not going to do anything like that which is hard when you know when anyone says hey don't listen because first thing you do is like all right and um you want to show up prepared because that's what you like the same reason that i showed up at the lisa Loeb session with like the whole armada of guitars that i own and then wound up playing ukulele most of the time (laughs) um i want to show up at a session having done my homework most of the time that pays off um i might have mentioned this earlier i i did a session a couple years ago with Alan Toussaint uh, where he wanted wow. to record uh, the Paul Simon song American Tune. So I diligently sat down and learned Paul Simon's guitar part exactly and um, thankfully Toussaint sang it in the same key. Otherwise it wouldn't have made a lot of sense. It's it's a song played in, op- in C in open position and if he had said oh let's do it in B flat um, right, but I still I like I I knew all the ins and there's some funny turns and inversions and it's I always like to to know that stuff. But yeah. in this case with Michelle, she was like, "Do not listen to it." And so I didn't. Well, I did a little bit, but I I listened <laughs> to it passively, and um, it was cool. I'll I'll say I hope I'm not giving anything away, but I'll say this: it was a song that I knew that was on the radio when when you and I were probably at the end of our high school years. And genre, okay. uh, R&B pop. And I looked it up on Wikipedia and found that it was written by Mark Knopfler, which I had never known. And, and I, 
the more I looked around, I realized that a lot of people had recorded Mark Knopfler songs that were not Dire Straits songs, but just songs that he had written. And I didn't know. Did you know that about him? He's done so many things over the years. Yeah, he really has. Like, I feel like if he had been born just three years earlier, he would have been like the sixth Traveling Wilbury. Like it totally would have made right. He would Good have been, point. Yeah. you know, he would have been the, the the extra guy. And then you know he'd made the those records with Chet Atkins and like he's not just the Dire Straits guy. He's he's anyway. That's a, so I right. won't say that much. I won't say anymore. But recording with Michelle was amazing. It was just an overdub for me. They had already done all the basic tracks. It was at this place called Lucy's Meat Market. And so I didn't have any expectation until I heard the sound coming out of the speakers and just had to kind of respond to it. So I brought my 335, uh, which you've seen. But at Lucy's Meat Market, similar to Vox, there's just a ridiculous amount of gear. So you feel like, oh, this. So then there was a second song that needed a strat. And I said to the guy who runs the studio, do you have a strat? And it's like, oh, yeah, here's a 61 strat. This like dang yeah mm-hmm. and all the stuff there is not just like eye candy but you can tell that the guitars get played and um right and he's like whoa what, what do you want for an amp i'm like i don't know. Do you have something tweet he's like oh yeah i've got a fender harvard actually i've got two fender harvards it's like it's i love it so i've wow. been kind of lucky then that's the same studio actually where i recorded blueberry blonde we recorded it uh, at lucy's meat market again i brought a bunch of guitars and mostly wound up using uh, the guy who runs it, his name is yeah. Pete Min, and it was like... And that's here? Yeah, it's about two miles from here. It's in Eagle Rock. Oh, yeah. Um, a bunch of records have been made there. You can look it up. It's called Yeah, Lucy's I've heard Man. of it. I remember if it was New York or here or what. Well, he did... It's funny. He did live in New York for a long time, and he's out here now. But yeah, t- t- every tweed amp you could ever want... Uh, like a beautiful 335, a beautiful Strat, a beautiful Tele, a beautiful kind of everything and great acoustics i brought my acoustics i wanted to make an acoustic record there and then he was like oh here's my you know 39 0018 damn and you know or here's my banner headstock l double o like he every everything is just great and really gets played a lot so those always wind up being the guitars that work you know sweet yeah and how did you get the call for the and Michelle and Deggio Cello session? Um, Other than your reputation for being the man on many platinum <laughs> records. <laughs> well, I I don't think that's what got me the call. Um, she, well, she lives in New York and she comes out here a lot. She's been scoring a, a TV show. So she's out here several weeks a year working on that. And... Um, the band that she tours with and the band that she's been scoring with includes my friend Chris Bruce, who's an incredible guitar player who you should talk to as soon as possible. He's a super amazing guitar player. Um, and she, uh, Chris had brought her out to see one of my live shows. Uh, I have this band with Rich Hinman, the pedal steel player. And, um, we just play around LA and Chris had brought Michelle out to see a couple shows and we just got to talking and um, she had actually called me a couple of times to, to do other stuff with her and just the timing didn't work out. So we had been on each other's radars. I, 
I've loved her music for a long time. And this just worked out, and I was su super glad. So I got to record on uh, two songs. Um, and it was fun, even though it was an overdub session, so it's not as fun as actually tracking live. She was in the room with me. You know, I did it just like, let's, ha let's hear the playback in the mixing room. Yeah. Um, and so she's there, and, you know, so I'm kind of reacting to her, even though she's just not actually, you know what I mean? Right. She's not playing bass or singing live, but just the fact that she was in the room with me made it a lot more dynamic for me. Totally. Uh, to, so she was, she's uh, she's an amazing woman, yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear that. I'll uh, definitely update everybody when it comes out, and we'll, you know, put it on the Facebook or the Twitter or whatever so we can you can reveal what this song actually was <laughs> oh cool. cool so blueberry blonde i really love this record it's had five songs i think mm -hmm. and jay bellaros yeah on the percussion he gets some of the deepest most like beautifully trashy almost sounds on there sometimes yeah i don't know what's in her heart I don't know what's in her heart. I don't know what's in her heart, but if it's sweet, then that's a start. I don't know what's in her heart. Yeah, I really, I play with Jay all the time. I play in a live band with him in LA and I've done a bunch of records with him. He was on that Lisa Loeb Lullaby record uh, that I mentioned. Um, and he's a real mystery to me. I try, I try to learn from him a lot. I mean, he doesn't try to school me, but just I try and pay attention and learn stuff. Um, he actually plays pretty lightly. A lot of what sounds kind of like big and trashy might be some small thing that like he really knows how to romance a microphone uh there's stuff on there with you know where he's shaking the tiniest little shaker or he's got this tiny little bell like if you watch him it's it just doesn't he almost looks more like a sound effects man than a than a drummer or a percussionist he's like a foley artist playing drums <laughs> he really is he that's he really is but he knows when you do a small thing on a on a good microphone it's going to sound a certain way and cuz that's what he's been doing for a long time so when we made that record the truth is it was supposed to be a trio record. Larry Goldings was supposed to make a trio record with us. We booked the studio time. I wrote the songs. We had this whole plan. And then at the last minute, something came up and Larry couldn't do it. And everything was already kind of in place. So I said to Jay, what do you want to do? You know, should we try and find another organ player? He's like, no, let's just make a duo record. And Badass. I didn't know how we were going to do that because I thought, you know, does that mean I'm going to have to play like a Charlie Hunter guitar style where like everything's happening all at once? And he's like, no, space is going to be fine. So, you know, he can create a lot of stuff that, that fills up space in a, in a nice way, not in a busy way, but just in a kind of uh, flowy way. And then I had to just relax and not try and play everything all at once. There's a song called What the Day Will Bring. 
And when it came time to rec- everything's live. So when we record, I'm playing acoustic guitar and singing live, and Jay's playing drums, you know, 20 feet across the room from me. And um, for the guitar solo, I'm like, do I need to do a chord solo or get all Charlie Hunter or Tuck Anders on it? And I just played a, so- a guitar solo, just kind of, and it I, it came out fine because Jay knows how to compliment something. never feel yeah. like anything's missing you don't feel like the harmonic bass is missing or you know any of the yeah no harmonic some... motion is missing because he's just magically filling it up he's magically filling it up he's i mean he doesn't as far as i know he doesn't tune his drums to pitches or anything like that but there's something really there's a lot of rich information in what he does and so it's, it's really beautiful well let's jam on one of those tunes sure there's so much to cover with you i was thinking i mean what, you want to sing one one of your originals i mean okay sure. is that a nice way to take it out is there anything sure. else you want to cover um i mean again you have so many things about you the best way to find you is maybe on your website? Yeah, that's the best way to find me, adamlevy.com. Uh, I know you have a great YouTube page with all those lessons. Yeah. Tons of Adam Levy's guitar tips. Guitar tips. There's 120 <laughs> guitar tips. I actually just retired it for the moment. But they're still there. But they're still there. Uh, you have really great tips, too. Like you've, I've really seen you give some of the great clinics at like MI or something or different places, I'm sure, at, at LA College of Music. And um, But just I've always was impressed by you talking about how to play with, with the song and, and fit into the song and work with the artist and work with the singer and not just taking it way out of just the guitar, but putting it into the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. It's not enough just to have cool guitar licks. And, um, you know, in, in, the, in the culture now, it's very, more than ever, I think it's very lick-driven and... Um, kind of look at me driven. I mean, there's, there's great guitar players that post a lot of really cool stuff on Instagram. And I, I, I don't want to disparage any, that that's a cool oh, yeah. thing. But I think if, if you, if you think that you could learn all that stuff and show up on a gig and play that way behind other people, you, you will be, <laughs> you will not keep your gig very long. Like it's for guitar playing sake, it's, super fun to do stunts on the guitar and you can learn a lot i call those jet ski licks really fun for the person who's doing it (laughs) but kind of annoying for the other people who are sharing the lake with you exactly (laughs) wow that's well put i gotta give peter harris credit for that this guitar player i play with many times it's that's exactly what it is so just if you want to do cool guitar stuff do it just be mindful that unless you're you know, Charlie Hunter or Adam Miller or, you know, somebody who really makes a career or who's the guy you're saying earlier? Ben, Ben Lacey. Ben yeah. Lacey. If you can build your own brand and your own career doing yeah. your thing your way, then that's and those guys are not jet ski players. No, just no, for the record. Sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to conflate those two things, but conflate. Uh, good word. We <laughs> should work at a college or something. <laughs> um, and, I don't know. So yeah, for for me, the thing that has paid the bills mostly has been 
listening skills more than playing skills. You know, it's not having any hot things that I do, but it's it's listening and to what's going on and, and trying to be part of that. That's awesome. That's true, man. It's a listener. Like some people hire you for for lead listener. <laughs> Lead not list. just lead guitarist, but it's important to be a listener as well. Sure, sure. I, I swear roads come together, you know, like just talking about with Jake Shimabukuro, the mm. virtuoso uke player, he, he, that's pretty much, he realized that when Michael Jordan was in his own on the basketball court, it's because he was taking everything in. Whoa. And for him, that's listening. When he, for Jake, it's when you really start taking everything in. Yeah, that's when you, the music really then you get into that zone. Totally. And Victor Wooten talks about it. My friend uh, Ramin Partovi at MI talks about. I haven't read this myself, but it talks about music being like almost like a jungle where all if you listen to all the different creatures, they're all mm-hmm. listening to each other. Yeah, and they're kind of communicating. No one's really just doing their own thing. No, that's. And I'm totally paraphrasing. I have not read his book, but. Wooten has this amazing book about music, which right. I'm, it's on the my list. The lesson it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to read that. I'm, I'm. There's, <laughs> yeah. I want to read that. Um, I just hope that people know that you, you know, if you're if if you want to work for other people, that there's there's a different skill set, and they're not mutually exclusive. Exclusive. You could have all kinds of cool stuff you can do on the guitar. It's just what you get paid for usually is not that stuff. That said, I, I've definitely had gigs where they did want me to do that. I had a gig where basically they wanted to have Joe Walsh. Not that he's an Instagram guitar player, but you know, right. they wanted somebody who's just like, you know, Godzilla coming oh, yeah. through the town and just smashing things with, with rock. And, um, and <laughs> I, that's, I'm the, I was the wrong guy and I tried really hard, but, there's definitely gigs like that where when they want the lead guitar player to come in, they just sort of like release you from the cage and like you do your craziness and then get back in the cage. Yeah. So there's all kinds of gigs for all kinds of people. I'm just saying from my experience, what has been helpful. Well, is I think that. you're absolutely right. I mean, there are, there's every kind of gig imaginable sure. and if it hasn't happened yet and you can imagine it and you've, and you work hard, you can get that gig and make it happen for you, whatever it is. Yes. However, I totally agree with you that of the income that is earned by a guitar player, guitar players, mm-hmm. 90% of it is rhythm guitar. And that's a, that's a um, general term, but yeah, accompanying, sure. accompanist guitar. Yeah. Where you're part of an ensemble and that's, you're, you, man, you teach that those skills better than anyone I know as far as... Hmm. Just talking about that to, to young students, and I mean, I think they're really lucky to have you uh, at over at the College of Music in in Pasadena at LACMA. What do you get? No, LACM. LACM. Not the yeah. not the art museum. No, no. L.A. College of Music. <laughs> yeah. Formerly LAMA. Yeah. It'd be funny. If, uh, maybe I should get a job at the museum. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm uh, kind of rushing us through here because I know you have a rehearsal to get to because this yeah. is a real world. Can I get you to play a little jam and a fade out? Sure. Sing one, sing one of your tunes. Okay, I'll do it. Maybe uh, I'll just noodle if I hear something. Sure. Um, you might stop here. I'm going to tune I'm going to tune to open D. Ah, I love some open tunings, man. As you're tuning there, I just mentioned, yeah, I mean, I, I just... Capos and open tunings, I think they are two frontiers that not enough... Um, 
inspired guitar players go down those roads enough mm-hmm. because so much in those realms I know so many great guitar players who've never left standard tuning you know and some of the greatest recordings ever were you know from Keith Richards to Jimmy Page mm. Cooter to Ry Cooter yeah to blues players yeah Robert Johnson you know yeah Sun House all that stuff Muddy Waters all that stuff and um it's it's man it's a beautiful zone to explore it's, it's such a beautiful beautiful zone to explore And again, I mean, I learned this, we were talking about listening and how important that is for working. I got into open tunings and capos as job security. You know, basically it it opened up more opportunities for me to to do stuff with Noir Jones and beyond. You know, a a part of that story I didn't tell you was, you know, when we first started, when things first started to really take off with Nora, we were a five-piece band. She played piano. There was an acoustic guitar player, Jesse Harris, me on electric guitar only, no capos, no tunings, just vibe. (laughs) Right. And uh, bass and drums. And um, and then when, when she got to do her first tour, it wasn't, you know, a tour bus or anything. It was just get in the van. It was a real, you know punk rock kind of tour at first and she was like i can't take five people on the road it's just the economics don't make sense and so she wanted to strip it down to three-piece band and she asked me like can you play acoustic guitar and finger pick and use a capo and do all the stuff that jesse's been doing and song to song we'll figure out if it makes sense to use electric or acoustic and from your experience reading tommy tedesco columns in guitar player you knew yes yes say yes and then figure it out later exactly that's basically what i did i said yes and then i went to the store and i bought a funky old martin you know 0018 with a pickup and i bought a capo and actually asked jesse harris to, i got a, a guitar lesson with him I'm like jesse can you show me how to do this because he didn't want to go on the road it wasn't like i was taking his gig he was like he just wanted to stay home and do new york music stuff but i had i was fortunate that i got to go to the source of who wrote you yeah. know some of those songs and anyway that changed my life but it was really just job security it wasn't like i'm gonna learn tunings because it's you know I'm interested now, but back then it was just, you know, more stuff to do on the guitar. So uh, this is a song off uh, off a new, my newest record, um, and and you're welcome to join me. It's in D. It's pretty straight ahead. This is our house, three little rooms. Too bad when the flowers are in bloom. Don't get much sun, don't get much shade. This is our house, we got it made. This is our child. The apple from our tree She looks like you She talks like me 
day she'll lead the band in a honky tonk parade. This is our family. We got it made. Take one. As we fumble through the dark, our love will be the spark. Trouble may rise, but it's bound to fall away. This is our song. Now it's played. I told the story true. A heaven straight There are no riches For which I trade This is our house We got it made This is our house We got it We got it made. Awesome. I heard that song and I wondered, do they, get a, do they have a child now or, or a new cat or something? Or are you just a great songwriter? <laughs> it's wonderful. Just a song. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, Adam. Thanks. Great to, to finally have you in the house. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. Oh, we'll have to do a follow-up too because I want to hear some more stories. Like when Dave Matthews tried to tell you guys you couldn't park your Nora Jones tour bus <laughs> back there. True story. <laughs> No, he didn't say that. His tour manager said that. That's actually the truth. Yeah, Dave Matthews, tour manager. I think he got fired after that. Dave was was a real prince to us, I have yeah. to say. We had three little buses. They had like 20 buses or something. Yeah, and the tour manager asked us to leave after our <laughs> opening set. And three three shows into the tour, Dave was like, Hey, Nora, do you, do you not like my music or something? You never hang out after, the, after your set. And... She's like, no, they told us to leave. And Dave's like, who told you to who leave? <laughs> and then that person wasn't working for Dave Matthews anymore. <laughs> well, I look forward to our next hang. I want to hear some more stories. We'll right on. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, Jude. Thanks so much. Well, the time is safe.